This is the Yoga Off the Mat podcast, a space you can learn how to deepen your connection with yourself, to live a fulfilled, passionate, and authentic life using the lessons from the mat. I'm your guide, host, and teacher, Amber Hagberg, and I'm here to inspire you to take time for yourself so that you can embody the practice of yoga and live your yoga on and off the mat. to Yoga Off The Map podcast with Amber Hagberg. This is episode number 35. And today I have a very special guest with me, Leela Lalling. I'll let her introduce herself, but what you can expect from our episode together is diving into how yoga can help us with the world's current crises to take yoga off the mat and into the world. Leela, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Amber. It's such a privilege and honor to be here and in your community with this podcast. So my name is Leela Lalling, and I am a classically trained yoga instructor, a yoga therapist, and environmentalist. And what that means basically is that I spent 20 years studying with monks and gurus of the Saraswati lineage which is a lineage of Advaita Vedantists, which is a type of non-dual yoga philosophy from South India. And um, I have spent 20 years studying and taking teachings from these monks. So basically living a, or studying through a monastic lens, but then living a regular householder everyday life. Um, like everyone else <laughs> off the ashram. <laughs> so I have ashram training, but I'm also an everyday yoga practitioner and yoga teacher. And I've spent the last decade or more um, training yoga teachers and yoga therapists around the world in the classical yoga wisdoms and yoga philosophies, and also in how to really live an inspired life for people and planet. Mm, I'm so excited to have you here today. You, you speak to all the values and those of my listeners know, I'm like, how can we use yoga to live in the everyday life? We're not monks in India. How can we take the teachings and, you know, relate them back to our lives? And I'm so excited to just hear your wisdom for those that are listening. And we can just start maybe like with everyone has a story, like how they got into Mm -hmm. yoga. And so I'm curious, like, what was yours? Well, I came to yoga in the late 90s, actually. I was um, working as a waitress and trying, I was diagnosed with epilepsy at 15 years old and was having seizures quite frequently and was really looking for some way to find healing. And at the restaurant I was working, one night I was at the bar with one of the girls and she was like, you know, you should try yoga. And I was like, what? (laughs) What is yoga? I had no clue. I'd never heard of it before. And, um, and it just so happened that about a month later, I was visiting a friend in Austin, Texas. And Austin at the time was a big Mecca of yoga back in the day. It still is today. But back then it was like really popular compared to other cities. And I was visiting a girlfriend and she said, why don't you come to the gym? I'm working at this health club. So I was like, all right. So I walk into the gym and I see this huge sign that says yoga class, 12 PM. And I thought, Hey, that's what that girl was talking about. You know? So I took that 
as an opportunity um, to take a class. And that was my first class was in a health club. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And in a short amount of time, um, she had recommended that I go to the Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas to get certified as a yoga teacher so that she could take maternity leave and I would take her classes. <laughs> so I was looking for an out of the job I was doing and decided like, okay, I'll do it. And so I ended up at the ashram for a month and having no idea, this is like pre-Google, pre the ability to like know what I was getting into. I just thought I was gonna be laying in the sun and doing yoga all day. <laughs> And it was a little like that and not like that at all at the same time. But um, I went to yoga really um, for to heal from epilepsy. And now I've been seizure free since 2004. And I have not had any pharmaceutical meds since my yoga teacher training back in 2000. Wow, that is such a beautiful story. And I know that, you know, when we get into yoga, there's always something that brings us into the yoga and like to know that healing can be so magnificent through the yoga practice. And with it being like epilepsy, it's like just another route that we can, we can take our yoga practice. And for you, it's like, what do you feel as though like, your biggest lesson in that being able to know, like you don't need medication and you were able to heal this dis-ease in your body with the practice of yoga. Like what, what lesson came through for you? I think the biggest lesson, that's a great question, by the way. Um, I think the biggest lesson was to realize how yoga can heal the many layers of suffering and trauma that are compounded with a diagnosis of a specific disease or just with our karmas and life in general. So I think the biggest takeaway that I learned was that number one, um, yoga is so much more than the asana piece. Like there's many different paths and many different approaches to the same unified experience. And when I realized that the suffering wasn't just about like a chemical misfire in the brain or a neurological misfiring um, in the brain, but that it actually went into my emotional body and my energetic body and my mental body. Um, you know, to see that that healing in these last 20 years plus now, um, that it's really made me a much more joyous and intuitive and peaceful person. And, um, and that really was the biggest takeaway for me was, whoa, I didn't realize that, you know, quote unquote epilepsy, the reason I came into yoga was actually going to heal these other layers that I hadn't even identified. Yeah, it's amazing how you, you just don't even know what's going to happen when you start on the yoga practice and with your journey of healing through epilepsy and then continuously like continuing your education. I know that you had mentioned that you were trained in a more classical way. What do you mm -hmm. think your biggest takeaway from that experience of this classical route? And if you could to just elaborate on what it means to be trained in the classical way and your biggest takeaway from that experience. Sure. So classically trained is basically means that you're following the traditional order of how yoga was presented 
between teacher and student. And that's done typically in a residential way. Um, so all of my education was me living with the monks and praying with them, eating by them, um, watching them go through their lives, you know, and their day-to-day -day experience, but also learning the scriptures, learning the ins and outs of the philosophy. In my teacher training, my 200 hour, I learned very little on how to teach asana, very little at all. In fact, I think I had two times to try to teach a yoga class and then we were certified <laughs> and out in the world. But um, what I learned was that, you know, first of all, yoga is a state of consciousness where there's emergence between the subject and object where there is no other. And we know Ram Dass has that famous quote, like there is no other. But to really experience that in your day-to-day -day life and to let that place of, of consciousness of that yoking of that union between our individuality and the collective consciousness is this higher state of existence that teaches us or gives us the experience of bliss and peace and unconditional love. And so I learned that, you know, like going to a mountaintop, if you and I were going to each take our own route to the top of a mountain, we might take different paths. I might prefer switchbacks and you might prefer more direct route or, you know, like maybe you like to go like climbing up more, you know, and I kind of like, oh, I'll just go lazily back and forth with no intention or whatever. And the point is, is just like that, there's many paths of yoga, like karma yoga is the path of selfless service and Raja yoga is the path of meditation. Hatha yoga is a, is a preparatory path for Raja yoga. Um, we even have Jnana yoga, which is the study of how the, how the mind works and, and how to transcend this relative reality. So all of these various paths of, of yoga, which are different from styles of asana, each lead us to the same one point. They, they lead us to that state where we're able to transcend our karmas, transcend our traumas, and transcend the mind, really, and come to that state of who we are inherently before we take a human birth. You spoke to so many, so many different um, amazing points. And so I, I can't elaborate, I have you elaborate on all of them. But one thing that, that really stuck out for me is like, there's so many different paths to get to the same place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, there's a, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and so like with that, there's so many different paths to get to the same place. How does a student find which path is going to be best for her or him? That is a great question. Um, the way in which we were trained is that each person has a temperament, right? A, a, like a tendency towards a specific path. And the unique way in which I was trained under Swami Shivananda, who is a guru um, who has trained many of the modern teachers that came to the West in the 60s and 70s. For example, Swami Satchidananda of the Integral Yoga um, and Yogaville Ashram, he 
was trained under Swami Shivananda. Swami Shivananda was born in 1887 and left his physical body in 1963. So, but he has a huge reach during that time, even without the use of the internet. And he brought the paths of yoga together. Um, in traditional ashrams, it's typical that they kind of take on one ashram, like you might have a bhakta or bhakti yoga ashram with a focus on that or a kundalini ashram. Um, what Swami Shivananda did and what he taught us was that um, the paths are many, truth is one, and let's do a little of each path. But let's say, for example, someone has a, you know, a desire or tendency or preference to just be in service, like somebody naturally might open the door for someone or someone may, um, you know, want to teach yoga as an offering for people in a way that they can heal that's not necessarily business, but more a seva. Um, or, you know, that might be karma yoga. Or if someone is into rituals and, and cycles and following all of that, maybe they um, would be drawn towards bhakti yoga. Or if they like to study philosophy, they might be drawn to jnana yoga. Or if someone has a tendency to really look at the world through the lens of energy, they might want to study Tantra yoga. So we use kind of what is our natural tendency to kind of be the launching path. But what a lot of the modern, you know, philosophers have shared is an integrated approach is kind of good for now, like a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you then get to see that you can bring those into your everyday life. So how can I be of service um, when I'm folding my laundry for my family? You know, that can be an act of karma yoga with the right attitude. Like I can fold laundry angry that nobody else is helping me, or I can fold laundry appreciative of the textiles, where they come from, um, the hands that have brought it into this place and form, and the ability that I get to have this moment to clothe my family and care for them in this way. So that would be like, how do we bring karma yoga into daily life? Or, you know, like moon circles and women's circles, sisterhood circles and things are great bhakti yoga practices. You know, lighting a stick of incense in the morning and a candle in your house is a wonderful way to bring devotion and spirituality and cleanse the space. So there's lots of little ways that we can bring it into our daily life. Totally. And I feel like all the different ways and different paths in which we can practice yoga on and off the mat, it's like for whom and when, and the idea that it doesn't have to be one or the other, but actually it's better to weave them all together. And, and in that it like inspires me to come back to that idea of like, okay, so here we are right now. And in, in current times, um, leaving the pandemic, going through a more, um, online world, how can we use yoga as a way to heal current crises in the world? I know you're an environmentalist. I know you're one that really is like an action taker in what's happening in the world. Where, where can we start to use our yoga practice, um, our yoga awareness to have a bigger impact on what's happening? You know, that's a interesting, you know, we're at a very interesting time. And we've never really been at this time in the human 
experience on earth, you know, let alone the fact that we've not been here very long as a human species, first and foremost. But even with the pandemic and everything that's going on in the world, you know, we look at, when I look at the world through the lens of yoga and all of the wisdoms I've learned through the years, and, you know, I see that we, and as a yoga therapist, you know, we stay involved in the, in the overall health of humans, right? Because that's our, that's our job. And so when I look at the world today and I see the statistics and I see the numbers coming through, like the World Health Organization or the Center for Disease Control, it's, it's almost maddening in the sense that I feel so much grief for the planet and for our species. So for example, um, one in five adults live with a mental illness, right? And 50% of all chronic mental illnesses start before the age of 14. And this is all pre-pandemic. So when we're looking at the pandemic now and the mental health crises that we're having now, um, we see that those numbers are exponentially growing, right? So basically we have a society that is distancing itself from each other. You know, this is getting a little bit better now as we start to open up space again but we've been isolated. And the new generation that's here on the planet are also not seeing facial expressions. You know, they're only seeing the eyes, like the babies and stuff. They're not seeing smiles or they're losing half of the facial expressions. And we also have, you know, seven in 10 Americans are saying that they are worried about their overall health because of COVID, you know, which is completely, expected. And at the same time, we have then increased cancer rates with one in three people in America can develop cancer. One in three. I mean, that is such a high number. And then we're looking at other statistics. Like, for example, in 2021, there will be an estimated 1.9 million new cancer cases diagnosed and over 600,000 deaths, like in one year. So we have this physical crisis of the body, right? We see that we're losing um, its vitality and its ability to function in its optimal state. We see that we have a disease that's happening with the sedentary lifestyle. They're now saying the seated lifestyle, a sedentary lifestyle is the new smoking, right? And we also are seeing that we are isolating and being isolated and we're losing our connection and community as an in-person relationship. So that psychological, that has a psychological impact on all of us as well. And there are new studies coming out from, um, from psychological uh, studies that come out about COVID and its impact on it, the mental health. And then we have, you know, so we have this physical health crisis, we have a mental health crisis. Emotionally, we're trying to heal ancestral trauma and trying to move through the traumas in our own life. So that's all up as a collective. And then, you know, we're losing our ability to sleep well, and we're connecting more through technology. And then we have this planetary crisis, losing 200 species 
every 24 hours and, and where you don't have access to clean air, clean water. I mean, just the fundamental clean food, the fundamental principles that we need. So as I look at the world and I see all of these crises that are happening almost on every Koshic level of our being, right? We have those five sheaths, those five bodies. And we see that there's a crisis happening on every level. And then we see that there's an overall planetary crisis. But what's so inspiring to me and hopeful to me is the fact that yoga has been a medicine throughout the ages for whatever time that the yoga has been utilized. So whatever the crisis was of an age 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago, yoga was a medicine that people turned to. 5,000 years ago, it was a medicine people turned to. And we see even in the story of Lord Shiva and his wife, Poverty, how um, he was in Samadhi and she was wondering, well, what are we going to do for the people of the Kali Yuga, the people who are going to experience, you know, so much suffering on so many different levels? You know, what, what are you going to do about it? What can we do about it? And, and so one of the things that we can do about it is to look at how do we use medicine, yoga as a medicine for each of these things. And he said, I will leave Hatha yoga. So the traditional Hatha yoga helps with you know, realigning or reharmonizing um, the koshas. And it helps to bring vitality and peace into our multidimensionality. And then we use the other paths of yoga to heal our relationships. So yoga says um, all life is relationship. All life is a sacred relationship. So if all life is a relationship and we use bhakti yoga to heal those relationships, we can use karma yoga to heal those relationships. Um, you know, it starts to bring harmony and peace back in to our everyday existence and help to alleviate these levels of suffering. Because like you and many of your listeners and myself, we've experienced it on a personal level already, which is what makes us so passionate about yoga. And so seeing that, then we can bring the teachings of yoga off the mat and into our daily life as a medicine to increase the consciousness so that we can solve these crises that we are confronted with. The same consciousness that created these crises is not gonna be the same consciousness that um, resolves them, right? So we need some innovation and some dedication. And we can see that yoga can help and meditation can help to increase the level of consciousness. Yeah, and I think that when we look at those numbers, it can be really daunting, right? Like mm -hmm. before 14, um, you, you already have mental and emotional like trauma within the body. And, you know, we have trauma on a personal level, but then we also have trauma on a global level. And then we have trauma on an environmental and planetal level. And, and so what I hear from you really saying is like yoga is the solution. And it starts with getting on our mats and moving our bodies because of the sedentary life.
lifestyle that is killing, you know, they say, as soon as you stop moving, your body is when you start dying. And it's the same (laughs) with, with our minds, right? Like we have to learn how to train the mind to get more in tune and in tap to our, our emotions. And then, and then from there, it's like being able to take that freedom space connection that we develop on the mat and how can we enhance our relationships from our own personal practice? Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, if you look at the practices of yoga, whether it's Hatha yoga, Raja yoga, you know, we see that what they do is evolve consciousness, right? So all of the practices of yoga help us to evolve our level of consciousness. And as we evolve our level of consciousness, it moves us into those higher frequencies of compassion and empathy, of um, innovation of solution-oriented, you know, approaches to problems, right? So how do we find, how do we solve the problems with a way that considers the whole and considers the impact? And how do we, in our evolved consciousness, um, impact what we do? So there's this really cool study that I had heard about um, through climate change yoga, which was that the mind, the collective consciousness can impact, for example, the the pH or acidic level of ocean water. And we know that we have ocean acidification. Well, I was like, what through meditation, we can like change the pH of the ocean water. So I had to put it to test because I'm a skeptical at heart. And I always, you know, this is how I learned yoga too, is I just put it to the test in life. And then after a decade of that, I was like, okay, it always works out. So I'll just blindly trust most of the teachings that I've come across now with yoga. But anyway, um, a group of us, only 18 of us on Zoom got together. And my friend Liz Sita Dunn, she took ocean water from New York and placed it on an altar. And then we had a candle. And 18 of us sat and we did some pranayama to help kind of focus and concentrate the mind because in today's world, our mind is all over the place. ADD, ADHD is of is like one in three people. So it's a very, we're very distracted. And so we did some pranayama to help focus our mind. And then we prayed over the water. We um, silently connected to the water. We looked at the water through the image on Zoom. And then we each spoke our prayer to the water for its healing. And we took turns doing that, honoring each other and honoring the water the whole time. Well, when we were finished with this 25 minute meditation and session, we legit tested the water again and changed the pH of the water. So it, it showed a difference and became more alkaline simply from our 25 minute meditation with 18 of us on zoom. And that's when I was like, whoa, the yogis really knew (laughs) way more than science or our, our modern minds can even comprehend about the interconnection and the interdependence and regenerative and reciprocal relationship between us and nature. You know, we have to remember that the yogis who realized these Vedic wisdoms these Vedic wisdoms are, have no authorship. You know, they came as the seers, the rishis would transcend the mind 
And then as they came down from those high states of the superconscious state, back into their bodies, they were revealed wisdoms. They were heard, which is why Veda also can be called Shruti. They're heard wisdoms. So what we know as yoga wisdoms is the inherent wisdom woven amongst life on earth. And so that interdependence and that relationship that we have with earth and nature is what needs the healing. And when we heal that, we heal ourselves, right? So I took to natural remedies, flower, you know, flower essences and um, crystals and a more natural diet. And, you know, when I brought the nature also into my life, and simplified my life and lived according, you know, to the yamas and niyamas, the best of my abilities, I saw that healing happened because I was returning back to the state of where I was born. You know, yogis lived in the forest. They practiced in nature, right? Like they weren't separate from nature. Only in recent colonization have we been separated from our earth mother. And now we've taken on this, you know, technological artificial life where we have artificial air in our homes and we have artificial food and, you know, just all of these things that are, you know, we don't have pure air or pure water anymore. Like you have to buy bottled water or filter your water just as it comes out of your tap. So when we return to this natural state and use the teachings of yoga in our everyday life and come back to a more simpler and holistic way of life, we see and can tune to that interconnection. And then we see that healing happens on all levels. Oof. And, and also just to think like we can literally change the pH of the water, like the power that our mind has and holds. It's just extraordinary beyond what we can, can even comprehend. And I love that you share that story because it really can give the listeners the idea of how we have the power to change our physiology, our health. And then also for others, you know, there's so many prayers that go around the world to heal, heal the world. And it's like something that we can even turn towards practical practices of how we can heal ourselves, to heal our communities, to heal on a greater level, knowing that depression and mental health, health is on the rise, that, you know, starvation is on the rise, all of these things that have happened due to pandemic and isolation that like the yoga practice has the potential. And I think that what this really does is something that you and I had spoke on before this call is like the responsibility or the opportunity, however you wish to look at it as yoga teachers, how we can get more students practicing yoga and how we can spread more yoga. And what do you think that, you know, as yoga teachers, as yoga, how has that affected our industry and the opportunity that we have to have a greater impact on our own health as humans, but as a plan planetary, planetary, like a planet as well, um, environmental, like on these greater capacities, like what does that do for our responsibility now? 
You know, I think what's so interesting is, you know, right before the pandemic happened, right before, like, you know, it COVID shut everything down, right? So right before that yoga was at its peak, um, I think there was like, a, I want to say like a million practitioners worldwide. Um, and then we had 30, we had 10% of the United States population was practicing yoga. So 36 million people were practicing yoga. 86% of practitioners self-reported having a stronger sense of mental clarity from their yoga practice. 73% of people were um, reported being more physically strong. So, you know, and there was an estimated 2 billion, that's the number, 2 billion people practicing yoga worldwide. So we had already this, this awakening and, and yoga kind of becoming like a boom exercise, right? Like everyone, like it seemed like everyone and their, their family members were in yoga classes. And then the pandemic hit and a lot of that stopped. A lot of yoga teachers um, lost their jobs. A lot of studios closed. I know myself working with training yoga teachers and consulting with yoga studio owners. I myself watched more than 10 yoga studios close, which may not seem like a lot, but for one person to witness 10 studios closing in various places around the world, it was, you know, pretty obvious that um, there was a shift happening in yoga and in the yoga industry, in the yoga community. And so um, when we look at who's remaining, right, who's still coming to yoga now, who's been there through the pandemic, who's been moving to Zoom classes from their studios, you see that it's the people who really are the seekers, the people who had direct impact from yoga, either on their physical health or their mental health. And so we've lost maybe the people who were seeking to have like a good looking booty, you know, and, um, and looking for maybe yoga to be more of a fitness approach. And we're starting to see that who's really left are the people that are like, whoa, I know that there's something deeper to this that is transformational. I've experienced it. I don't know how I experienced it or why, but I know that I did. It had an impact on me. And those are the people who are still left. So there may not be as many practitioners, which there's not been any studies on this. This is one thing that I've been curious about potentially starting as a study now, again, about who's left basically, and what are you seeking? But I feel like, you know, as yoga teachers, I believe personally that it's our role to share these teachings as a medicine for the people who have been traumatized through the pandemic, who are trying to heal traumas and karmas, you know, whether that's generational or societal or collective. Um, I feel it's a medicine for the dis-ease, the layers of dis-ease that we have in our physical bodies. And so for us as yoga practitioners, it's so it's more important than ever to continue our education, to dive deeper into the yoga wisdoms as a collective, as a whole, and to push ourselves to go past the asana, past the pranayama, and into it as a form of medicine in a structured way 
and in a way that works for each individual teacher and community because you know each teacher is is their own ecosystem you know functioning with um you know your community members and the people who choose to study with you and then also each yoga studio acts as an ecosystem which is unique to each community itself that it serves you know in all of the consulting i've done over the years i've owned three yoga studios myself um, and i've trained many many yoga teachers because that's basically all who i work with mostly um, you know there is this invitation for us to really step up and say hey look you know collective consciousness is real there are studies about how when we come together in one focused way of intention in one like sangha sankalpa a sankalpa for our community and we do a meditation we know that there's already impacts that it can work with the oceans or just up level the collective mind right and we also know that we can bring to them the medicine of hatha yoga and the importance of ritual and spirituality i mean i believe you know perhaps there's you know, I've read books about this, but, you know, the rise in technology and the decline of spirituality is another disease, right? So how do we empower our yoga practitioners in becoming the medicine in their own life so that they can find healing and build resiliency in these times? Like we have to be more resilient than ever. We're at the precipice of a global crisis where you know, we, the teachings of yoga can help us like Kapalabhati is a Kriya that is known to do wonders for like COVID prevention, right? Because it helps to purify the lungs and strengthen the lungs so that if somebody gets COVID, there's less likely, you know, there's less impact on the lungs because of the strength of lungs prior to it there. So I just feel like, and this could be a little long-winded, <laughs> but I feel like there's just so much that we can gain from these ancient wisdoms that can be applied to today's world and is needed more than ever in today's world. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, you, you touched on a lot of really good points there of like the, the things that we can we can start to do as yoga teachers and how we've weaned out, you know, a big group of people that were were in it but not fully in it and so it's like i love that we have the dedicated practitioners and students that are keeping to the practice and also with mental health on the rise and these other planetary like crises that are happening how can we spread more yoga and have more healing through the yoga practice when we are weaning out you know like what we were saying before is like the ones that were in it just for exercise and it's like yoga is <laughs> is exercise but that actually it is an exercise you know it's so much more than exercise yes you're moving your body and yes you're building strength and and all these other things in the physical body but there's something happening that brings you into a state of consciousness of connection of relationship with yourself and so how as yoga teachers can we get more students in the room that are committed to making this yoga so much more than the exercise and really like a way in which they live their lives? I think it comes down to continued ed. Like I said, um, you know, one of the things that 
is different about my training is 20 years with monks, like the nuances of the teachings, the nuances of the scriptures. And, you know, there's so much more wisdom that we can share with people about how to manage their karma, how to um, work with the gunas, right? Like if you notice like I'm feeling very fiery and rajasic right now. Okay, what do I need to do to offset that? Okay, well, let me take some deep breaths. Let me do some alternate nostril. You know, if we start utilizing the yoga wisdoms as frameworks on how to interpret our current world, you become an educator that far transcends the physical postures, which have magic, right? Like we know the magic of asana. We don't have to do much for it to do its own work on someone's consciousness, but we have to make sure to remove the glass ceiling. When we keep asana, just asana, and then weave in calisthenics and all this stuff and start to dilute asana from its traditional approaches, we, what starts to happen is it becomes that exercise again. And there's a glass ceiling that we kind of can get trapped in when we're yoga teachers, that we focus only on everything from that lens of what we were trained in, which is postures. But there is a world science. It is the science of life. I mean, that's Ayurveda, but yoga and Ayurveda are sister sciences. Yoga is a science. And at the same time, the optimized state of consciousness potential, the highest potential of consciousness that each of us are born with as our birthright to uncover. And every scripture says, you can attain yoga, you can attain this higher level of consciousness within this very birth. Like the worst thing you could say, I had a monk yell at me one time. Well, he didn't yell, of course, because he's a monk, but he kind of scolded me. I said to him, oh, I would love to be that that Brahmin priest, you know, chanting mantras all day and offering flowers to the Davies, you know? And he was like, don't say next life. Cause I was like, oh, maybe I'll be that in the next life. And he said, why would you say next life? Like, that's like not a good samskara. That's not a good uh, thing to put in your mind. Imagine that you can reach spiritual perfection in this life, because that is your aim and goal of all yogas is to evolve yourself to your highest potential. That's why the lotus flower is used. That's why Padma, she's called, right? She roots down in the mud. That's like when we're unaware, when we're in suffering. So all those layers of suffering, I said at the beginning of the talk was, you know, that was me, you know, no mud, no lotus. But our life's journey is to take that um, that bravery and courage that is inherent in us and that inner call of being a seeker to find out the purpose of my birth, to find out the purpose of life and to transcend the mind. And so when we, as yoga teachers, want to steward yoga in its classical way, not in a way that has been culturally appropriated, we need to honor the fact that there is this, that the goal of all yoga is to transcend the mind and to transcend duality and to reduce suffering. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not as yoga teachers learning those wisdoms 
and bringing those into our own lives, then we're only teaching exercise. And that has a glass ceiling. So that will stop your career ever in, 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 in any day, you know, like you'll be limited in how much you can teach. But if we look at how can I study, you know, the scriptures, how can I study Vedanta? How do I learn about the gunas and energies and how they work with my mind and the koshas and our multidimensionality? When you start understanding this and teaching this to people, you see that their transformation becomes exponential and very rapid, very rapid. You get to see the influence that yoga has on your students and helping and inspiring, empowering them to live their highest potential through the practice of, you know, yoga on and off the mat. I love that you speak to the glass ceiling of teaching exercise, you know, because the Western world really does look at yoga as exercise. And I know that from my own personal experience in coaching women, how to live a yoga lifestyle. So many were like, oh my gosh, Amber. I thought yoga was stretching. And so really being able to expand, you know, people's mindset on what yoga really is and how, like you were saying in the beginning, like how yoga can heal our current crisis is just through thinking about the pH of the freaking water. Like that's just <laughs> mind blowing. <laughs> So epic. Leela, thank you so much for, for being here. And I know that you and I will, don't worry, listeners have another a talk because there's so much, there's so, so much depth that you have to share. And I know you have a current, um, 300 hour yoga teacher training coming up. I would love to just drop in all the ways that my listeners can drop into you, follow you, study with you. If you want to just spew it all now. Okay. Thank you. So yeah. in um, in, March of uh, March 24th up in New York here, we're doing a yoga teacher training, a 300 hour program that basically is this. We look at the leading crises, whether it's mental health, physical, climate, et cetera. And then we look at um, how yoga is a medicine. So you learn the philosophy, you learn how it can be a medicine for that particular crisis. And you learn step-by-step how to bring it into your community. So it's a training unlike any other because we're looking at the world today. So because of my yoga therapy, also background, um, people will go into about how to work with people with long COVID and with COVID as well. So that is in the, on March 24th, we're only inviting 12 people and this is intentional. I believe that it's more profound to and more impactful to work with smaller groups. Um, so it's limited to 12 and there's just a few spaces open um, for that. So it's half residential, half online with two one week immersions as the in-person. And then people can go to my website, which is yoga wisdoms with an S.com. And within the next couple weeks, there'll be, um, I'll be starting to upload online courses and things that are self-paced. And you can follow me on Instagram, which is Leela, L-I-L-A dot Lolling, L-O-L-L-I-N-G. And also if anybody wants to join me for practices and workshops, I am also a teacher on the free app Insight Timer. And you can just search my name and you'll find me there. And so come practice with me. I do classical pranayama and earth healing meditations, which we focus on things like the water meditation. And I also teach some yoga philosophy there. 
Mm, thank you so, so much for being here. And I will plug those into the show notes and we'll invite you back soon. Thank you so much, Lila. Thank you, Amber. Have a great day. You as well. This is the most important relationship you'll ever have the relationship that you have with yourself. So go out there, nourish it, date yourself, practice with yourself and continue investing into the person you're becoming. And I want to thank you. I really appreciate you tuning in and listening to this podcast. It's an honor to know that people are listening and gaining value while generating their own insight. For more actionable tools and practices, head over to my Facebook group, www.facebook.com groups slash yoga for inner peace to learn more practices that you can put into your toolbox to reduce stress, build confidence, and create a community of other women who are like you wanting to better their lives to better their communities. Thank you again for being here. And if you're on social, post a photo of you listening to this and tag me, Amber Hagberg, so we can hang out online and continue growing this relationship, first from the inside and then from the outside. I'll see you on the next episode.